uh, the last message I probably will do on the area of covenants. And I want to highlight today which covenant is for today, which covenant is for us, and the fact that it's for us and that it is a very, very good covenant. Um, I've got to admit that I actually felt a little bit uneasy, as some of you may have felt also, um, when you hear about the grace covenant and the lavishness of what the grace covenant actually is that we live in. When I first heard that being right with God was not based upon keeping the Ten Commandments, I started to go, mm, I'd better think about this. And when I heard that our sins are forgiven past, present, and future, I thought, oh, I need to think about this. In fact, I know of, uh, I've heard of pastors who said, I will not preach this because it will give people a license to sin. If I preach that future sins are, um, are already forgiven, then people will rush out with their license and sin. But can I point out that people are sinning without a license <laughs> when they believe they're under the Ten Commandments? And I had to come to a point where I actually realized I did not have to protect God and protect His covenant. He's more than capable of doing that Himself. But, you know, I understand if you feel a little bit uneasy with the kind of lavish grace that I'm going to speak about and that God has given you. And we know most of this material. But I also want to suggest if you feel a little bit uneasy, what it may indicate is that you understand grace, but you're also living under law. And the law aspect is what you think is keeping you in line. And that if that were taken away, then this... Oh, I can rush out and sin scenario uh, could, be, could be something that you're thinking, gosh, we can't actually preach this because of that. But you see, the truth is, if you stay attached to the old covenant, then the, you will find that the form of Christianity that you will live out will bring death and condemnation to you. Yeah. Have a look at the scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, covenant the Spirit gives life. Would anyone like life instead of death? Well, this is what it's about today. The old way with laws etched in stones. In other words, the old way that we spoke about last week of the Ten Commandments led to death, though it began with such glory. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? That is, the, uh, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which, which makes us right with God? Now, folks, I'm actually convinced that one of the reasons Christians stop growing at some point in their life and hold back from leadership and say, oh, no, I'm just going to sit back, is because they reach, often reach a point where they realize that it's just not working for them. Yeah. And they're trying to live based on the, the Old Testament covenant. And there's no empowerment in the Old Testament covenant. There's just failure and condemnation because no one can be perfect. And if our way to be right with God requires perfection, we're all doomed. Yeah. 
And people, Christians living in this age, saved genuinely in grace, but then trying to live out and keep the laws, thinking that the laws will make you right with God, are running down a track that has no life in it. There is only death. There is only condemnation. And people can do it for year after year after year, and then a lot of people think, this just isn't working. But there's another track that it takes a paradigm shift to be able to find and to run down. And in that track is the Spirit of God giving life to Christians. And the difference is as marked as life and death. So it's worth getting to know the new covenant that we're actually supposed to live under. It's an amazing covenant. It has life. It has empowerment. It has motivation. And it's a completely different track to that one. Does that make sense? In fact, the new covenant was such a radical change, it required a herald before it arrived to announce what it would be like. Just think royalty entering a room back in the 17th or whatever century, and they go, dun da da dun da da dun here is the prince of so-and-so and, and the princess, and they will do, and speaking it out. Who's the herald that I'm talking about? John the Baptist. He was the herald for Jesus. And he stood up and he said, Jesus, and explained what he was going to do. It says, John, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. He's the one I was talking about. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest upon is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testified that he is the chosen one of God. So what we know is celestial royalty came to earth to take away the sins of the world and to empower us by his Holy Spirit, to be able to live the Christian life. Jesus came to do two things, and they were them, among some other very good things as well. But these were the things that the herald brought out. So every historic act of sin that had happened down through history from the very beginning right back to Adam, And everything right out into the future, on one cross, on one day, upon Jesus Christ, every punishment, every wrong act was punished by God himself. His wrath came upon Jesus, his own son. Absolutely absolutely paid. He was judged and paid in full. And it was the end of an era. And that's why at the point of Jesus' death, Jesus' final words were, It is finished. So I want to ask you, what is finished? Was it Jesus' work is finished? Well, he hadn't even died. He hadn't even been buried yet. So he hadn't risen from the grave. He hasn't appeared to the disciples. He hasn't poured the Holy Spirit out. He hasn't preached to the spirits of people in, in, uh, uh, in the earth and in the place called Hades. And he hasn't taken those that were ready for heaven back as captives, taken them up into heaven. And he hasn't returned a second time. So his work's not finished. What had finished was the old covenant. It was utterly, utterly done away with. And the curtain in the holy place that separated the holy of holies from where the people could be 
ripped in two. But did it rip from the bottom to the top or the top to the bottom? It went from the top to the bottom. In other words, God reached down or an angel reached down and went, now you've got my presence, people. It wasn't human beings ripping the curtain up. Unlimited, complete access. It was the end of an era and the dawning of a new age where God's presence and his provision is made available to every single Christian. It's incredible. That's everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, it includes you. You can have his presence and his provision. God did it for us. And he said, what has, has become obsolete is about to disappear forever. In Hebrews chapter 8. Let me read you the scripture. For now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates a far better covenant. Say the word better. better. You'll just find this all over the Bible. Romans, Hebrews, better. Better covenant. Better promises. Better terms. Better high priest. Better, better, better covenant. Based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Remember last week he said, I put you on eagle's wings and took you out of the land of Egypt. Today, the, 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 through the Holy Spirit, the, the uh, writer of Hebrews is saying, I led the people of Israel by hand. So he's taking them to Sinai. He's talking about the Mosaic covenant and God found fault with that covenant. This covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turn my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make. Say, I will. Notice how many I wills there are. I will make it with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God's God, and they will be my people. And they will not need uh, to teach their neighbor, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. In other words, it'll be an internal knowledge. Um, and, and it says, And I will, I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. Can anyone say amen? amen? Isn't that good news that he will do that, that one line for us? And when God speaks of a new covenant, he's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and it will soon disappear. Now, this, written was bo this book was written from Italy. So it's very likely Paul. It's scholars don't actually know, but most... Um, theologians and biblical scholars say this is the writings of Paul. And it was written about AD 60. And it was written to Hebrew Christians and who were under extreme persecution from Judaism, from the Jews and the, the old way, the religious religion of Judaism. And they were being persecuted en masse. And Paul's writing to a specific people at a specific time. And he's saying, don't worry, it's obsolete. It's soon going to completely disappear from the face of the earth. Now, we know that that actually did happen in AD 70 when um, Titus uh, sent his Roman uh, generals to, um, to Jerusalem to completely exterminate Jerusalem and to wipe out as many Jews as possible. 
They, they, it, was, it was really interesting traveling in Turkey and going through the, the wide, wide valleys that, that the Roman troops would have landed in Ephesus and then marched their way through Smyrna, Laodicea, and the other places to Tarsus, and then finally down into Jerusalem. And the, the instructions that he gave to his troops at that time and to his generals was, kill every Jew that you possibly see. And they reckon about a million Jews on that journey were wiped out in Smyrna and Ephesus and other places. So persecution by by the, the Jewish people of the Christians completely stopped, AD 70. And once they took the city of Jerusalem, there was a rumor that said that the, uh, there was gold hidden between the actual slabs of the temple, the huge temple rocks. So they took every stone, dismantled every stone of the temple looking for gold, completely wiped out. But the really interesting thing that they wiped out was the, any record of genealogy for the Jewish people. So now there could never be a sacrificial system set up again. And there hasn't been in the last 2,000 years because there is no record of who the priests are and only the priests were allowed to do certain tasks. And Paul's writing and saying, it's obsolete, you watch, it'll be gone very soon. It was completely wiped out in AD, AD 70. Now folks, if you go back to that scripture I read, you'll see that we are in a grant covenant a grant covenant where the greater king takes the responsibility to bestow all of these things, not a kinship covenant, which the children of Israel were silly enough to get into in the Mosaic covenant, where they said, we'll do our part, we're, we're able, we can do it. No, it's a grant covenant. There are seven I wills in that passage. And God clearly takes responsibility for all the conditions. It's a covenant that's not determined by our fluctuating performance. I don't want to perform badly, but I do. So do you. In verse 9 and 10, he says, I will make a new covenant because the old one doesn't work. And I will put it on their minds. I will put my law on their minds. And he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. The New Testament talks of the royal law of love for other people. And it talks of the law of faith. I will, and then he says, I will write this also on their hearts. And the heart is the emotion center. The heart is the motivation center, if you like, in our lives. And we are motivated to want to do things for other people as the love of God gets inside of us. We carry a God-given desire to help. Even a God-given desire to make that beautiful plant display out there for our community. Yeah. Do you know how hard those guys worked? Like Trojans all Thursday, here in the morning, and just plants, plants, Tuesday. Plants here, and then the taking of it all down as well. And in verse 20, uh, 12, he says, I will forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. And I just have to go, wow, what is our God actually like? Who is he that would do that? And this is God's decision, and it says nothing about if they behave. He just says, I will do this. However, sin still has to be judged, and that's why there was a cross. So the Father judged Jesus for everything you and I and every human ever born on the planet and ever will be born on this planet was all judged upon Jesus Christ. Jesus took all the punishment due. So justice has already been satisfied. Yeah. There's no double jeopardy. He can't... 
judge Jesus and then judge you. There is no double jeopardy. Jesus is already judged, so you're free. And when that gets from here to here to in the very center of our being, we go, who is this God? How could he be so good as to do that? His unconditional love towards you is utterly amazing. And I've got the same unconditional love towards me. You know, I was, I was talking with someone this week who, who had done something really wrong and they'd, they'd hurt someone badly, deeply. And I managed to get them to ask the father how he felt about them and about that event. And they were praying and, and uh, God started revealing things to them. And he showed them a picture that showed them, in other words, a vision that they saw in their mind that showed them that it was, that event was in the past and they could move on from it. So then I said, well, why don't you ask God this? God, how do you feel about me having done that? How do you feel about me even at the time of doing that? And there was a lot of silence. And they expected, they told me afterwards, to have God say, well, I feel okay towards you, but you need to do better, and this must never happen again. In other words, they expected a father talk, like earthly fathers talk to their young boys or girls, so that it's really hammered in, and they know what they're allowed to, or supposed to do and not supposed to do. But do you know what one word God spoke to this person? He said, you're perfect. And he knew that he'd done wrong. He's really remorseful for that. And God just says to him, you're perfect. You know what God's doing? He's forgiving their wickedness and never remembering their sins. And friends, if that hasn't happened for you yet, when it does happen, you will go, I don't get it. I don't get you, but thank you. Thank you, thank you. And when it's real and it's in the heart, there's no thought, wow, I'm free. I'll go and steal some money. I'll go and have sex with a prostitute. There's none of that. I've got not, not got this license to do what I like because sin is forgiven. There's a wonder and an awe that says, I want to live right. For such a God that would forgive me like this. This is the amazingness of the new covenant that we live in. So I want to ask you, do you know your position? Are you alongside Jesus Christ? Is he just in front of you and there's kind of a wedge, but you're one of the front four or three, you know? Is that where you are? Or are you like Mary? Do you see yourself as sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus is there? What is your position? What does the Bible say your position? The most common phrase, that, because the Bible actually says a couple of things about what our position is, but the most common one that the Bible speaks about is found here. Okay? Uh, but now... In Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Bible says over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, 
in Christ. Now consider this. If you're here, or if I'm here, and Jesus materialized there, then spiritually, I'm here. Because I'm in Christ. And if Jesus moves to here, then spiritually, I'm here. Are you with me? I'm in Christ. It's like, I'm in Christ. Wherever Jesus is, I'm there. And it's the same with you. And the implications of this are absolutely huge in the new covenant. Have you noticed, and I know you have because I pointed it out, that when you read about the new covenant, Paul often just says it's better, it's better, it's better, without telling a whole lot of detail. He's just constantly saying it's better. Have a look at the verses we read earlier. Shouldn't we expect far greater, greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? Or in Hebrews, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Better means we get an upgrade. I chatted to a guy who said he'd been asking God, God, could I have an upgrade when I fly? And he'd asked for it several times, and they'd always looked at him and said no. But one day he went there to the airport, flying, flying uh, overseas, and they said, would you like an upgrade? He said, man, having that bed <laughs> was just amazing. Better means upgrade. You and I have got an upgrade. And the covenant is for us. Because God loves us. God wants eternity with you. He doesn't want eternity without you. He wants eternity with you. The covenant is all about us. And in it, God promises us stuff. And we feel, oh God, if I could just have a little shack. In fact, if you've even got a little cupboard under the stairs for eternity, that would actually do me, God. You know what that is? Ah. <laughs> because you are so valuable, Jesus died for you. There's no way he wants to just give you a little shack. Yeah. Or a cupboard under the stairs in this life or the next life. You're so valuable to devalue yourself and think, oh God, I only want that and that because a huge banqueting table spread, but all I want is just a little bit of bread and if I could have a little bit of butter, that would be nice. That's plenty for me. And God goes, no, I spread the whole table for you. This is the lavishness of his covenant. It is about us. Now Jesus inherits from every covenant. So all of Abraham's promises, Jesus is eligible for every blessing because he has a perfect lineage. He could trace it all the way back. He was born right. So what Abraham was promised, Jesus gets greatness and faithfulness and influence and great reward and protection and abundant provision and land and righteousness. But Jesus also inherits from Moses' covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, the one at Sinai. And interestingly, there's only 20% that was 
promise, and 80% was punishment for breaking the rules. You read the number of verses. But Jesus gets every bit of that 20%. He kept the law perfectly. There was special blessing and favor on his family, on finances, on investment, on possessions, also on health, and, and to be the head and not the tail, and to carry God's delight upon their body, and to, and to be his treasured possession. Now think about these. Do all these blessings actually come to Jesus Christ? Are they his by right? The answer is yes. Absolutely. And where are you? You're in him. So all the blessings of the previous covenant come to you too. But you can die of starvation with a million dollars in the bank. If you don't know that you have that account, or you never make withdrawals upon the account as you're given permission to be able to do, you can die in absolute spiritual and physical mental and emotional, financial poverty. And then there's the new covenant promises. Can I have the band come, please? Forgiveness for all the wickedness and never having our sins recalled by God ever, ever again. Having Jesus' perfect righteousness credited into our account So we get to stand eye to eye with the Father. We get to stand eye to eye, not eyes down, oh, I'm a worm, but eye to eye with the Father. How do I know that? Because Jesus stands eye to eye with the Father. And where am I? I'm in Him. I'm in Him. I'm in him. This is what Paul was going on over and over and over again. Get it, guys. Get it. We're in him. We've got this perfect right to access his presence, his love, and his provision because we're in him. Him never being angry with us at all, never removing his unfailing love from us, never taking his peace from us, never stop doing, he's going to never stop doing good to us. These are all things that are ours by the covenant. that that Jesus was prepared to make for us. Always giving us his power daily so by the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit being able to live in that power daily. We just go, wow. And you say, how do I inherit all these things? Well, they are given, but they must be received also. And the one thing in the receiving of this grant covenant that we're asked to do it comes out in John chapter 6 and verse 29, and it says this. Jesus told them, this is the only work. This is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's it. You know, I was talking with someone a while back who had lost uh, their spouse. And they, they said in a quiet moment to me, they said, gee, I hope he was prayed up. You know, I hope, I hope, he, I hope he'd confessed the sins. And then they corrected themselves and they said, no, he was in Christ. <laughs> but you see how easy it is to live under the old covenant compared to living in the new covenant? 
God asks all of us that we believe right. And we have to believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to give us heaven and to inherit all the promises that his Bible speaks about. And if we do that, they're all ours. So we've discussed three covenants. Only one of them is described as the better covenant, and only one of them is for today. Which one are you choosing to live under?